We might say, well, quite a bit, it seems. Food production, music, metalworking, just to name a few, as they're listed here in chapter 4. In short, civilization, all that, it, all that is entailed in living in civilization and over hundreds of years. We could argue with unbelievers about whether or not they accomplish any of this without God. But to them it appears that man does this unaided. That he is productive and powerful apart from God. As we think about work today and this weekend, I wonder how many of you would like to work for 750 years or 800. Some of us wonder if we can make it to 65 Here we have in this account the work that God had given and the labor that these individuals performed for hundreds and hundreds of years. We also see that increasingly this work was done for themselves. That's what I want us to to notice this morning as we look at these two lines. Those who are working for themselves and for their name And those who are working for God and looking for something which is permanent, that which is to come. The psalmist struggled with the prosperity of the wicked when he looked at their their prosperity. They seemed to be productive, even as the the offspring of Cain seemed to be productive here. And he he said, if if he was speaking today, they have all the Grammys, they have all the fancy cars, they have the, the, the fancy houses, they have vacation homes, and they have all kinds of time off, and And they seem to be flourishing. Why am I struggling so hard to do that which is right and good in keeping with God's commands? Why why don't I? Why don't I use the ways of man and pursue whatever I can, getting it by whatever means? Well, these individuals seem to have a city that was secure. They seem to have all that was provided. Their names were remembered. We see them here. Their power and their control is impressive. We have to ask ourselves, however, what are we, what are we building? What, what are we doing with all of our labor? What are, we, what are we seeking? Our names to be remembered? Our products? Our companies? What are we here for? Well, before we're even told what to, we are to do, we're told who we are. If you look back in Genesis chapter 1, Genesis 1.26, God says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. We're made in God's image. We're made for him, for his glory, to be in relationship and in fellowship with him. That's emphasized over and over again in these opening chapters of God's word. That's why we hear it over and over again in this series. We're here to live for him, and obedience to him then is to to work, to fill the earth, to subdue it, to do that which is good, and to do it according to his command. What we have before us in comparison this morning, two civilizations, a city without God, a city of man without God, and a family of God which looks forward to the city of God. And we have to ask ourselves, which one do I want to be a part of? Which one am I uh, uh, most identified with if I examine my life? Without a doubt, man can make some very impressive things which we can appreciate. Without a doubt, we, at times, the life of the unbeliever seems carefree and powerful. We can become quite envious, but we want to ask ourselves, what is my eye upon? What what am I looking for? What is my desire? Is it 
to serve God or is it to serve myself? The truth is, two groups inhabit the world, the same world. Everyone is under the same mandate to fill the earth and subdue it. But when we look at the way we relate to God, we see a, different, a difference between the two. First, in the city of man, the praise of man apart from God. How could brothers be so different? Same mother and yet two different brothers, Cain and Abel. Cain is so convinced of, of his, uh, the, the fitness of his sacrifice and the, the rightness of his attitude that when Abel is there before him, he is constantly reminded that he is not living with a, with a desire for God, but for himself. And he wants God to recognize his plans and his ways, and so he kills his brother. And God comes to him, you remember, last time we were in Genesis 4, God comes to him and says, Cain, your heart is not right. You are at odds with me. Your anger will consume you. And this was a moment for Cain to change. This was a moment for Cain to turn around. But he didn't. Instead, he went out from the presence of God and settled in the land of wandering. It's interesting to see those words set right next to each other, isn't it? Cain settled in Nod. Cain settled in the land of wandering. Nod means wandering. You see, life apart from God is that, just that. It's wandering. It's, it's, it's difficult. It's hard. And it doesn't make sense. And we try to make sense. Or we try to make reality fit our wishes and our whims. And it doesn't work. It only creates greater frustration. Cain knew his own heart, and yet he would not repent. And as he knew his own heart, he knew the hearts of those around him, those who were not Godward in their focus. He knew they had violent hearts like him. He knew he needed protection, but he refused God's promise of protection. God promised that he would protect him. He put a mark upon him and said, Cain, you will be protected and I will carry out my vengeance upon anyone who takes your life. And yet he said, no, I don't want your protection. I don't need your protection. I'm going to make my own city. I'm going to make my own culture, my own civilization, and I'm going to name it after one of my offspring." Because I want to be remembered. He built a city and in this act he declared that he did not need God or his protection. He couldn't have taken a bigger swipe at God unless he had named the city, I don't need you. A civilization without God is characterized by love of man and the world. The love of the world, the lust of the eyes is not of God but of man. We read in 1 John 2. Rebellious hearts refuse to honor God, to give him thanks. We see that in Romans chapter 1. That is the indication of those who've been turned over, those who are following themselves. They don't honor God and they don't give thanks to God. They exchange truth about God for lies and serve themselves rather than him. But we must notice in this God's common grace, his kindness to them. If it were not for God, Cain and his wife would not have been able to have children. If it were not for God's goodness, his kindness, they would not have been able to develop a civilization. You see, in everything that we do, in everything that we are able to accomplish and to discover, we are to give thanks to God, to honor him in that. 
to reflect upon his goodness to us. That takes a gift as well. That is needed. We teach and train our children and we also pray that God would work by his Holy Spirit, that they would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, that they would understand the word, that they would live with a Godward focus to give him thanks and to honor him. The way that sinful man looks at the world is recorded for us here. Man wants praise. There's no strong emphasis to keep the names, or there's a strong emphasis rather to keep the names of the inventors here uh, before us, before the people. There's no mention of God or of his kindness in this phrase. Almost as if Moses, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as he writes these words, is saying, This is what man is like. He wants all the praise for himself, he wants his name to be remembered. God, not to receive any thanks or praise for the gifts or the resources. This is the attitude of sinful man. What a contrast. I was thinking through history and my mind uh, latched on to Samuel Morse, the inventor of the telegraph. And his first transmission with the telegraph was, does anybody remember? What hath God wrought? This great technology which transformed communication and Samuel Morse did not think of himself and in praise of his own name, he said he wanted uh, those who remembered this invention to remember the God who had enabled him in this work. Sinners, on the other hand, are intent on perverting uh, the world and God's design, wanting this praise to go to them. We see further perversion in Lamech, the offspring of Cain, as he takes two wives to himself. does not want one, he wants two. We don't know the reasons. Perhaps he was to assure himself of offspring. He took more than one wife. Perhaps to fulfill his lust, he did so. We don't know. Maybe all of the above. But he is intent on perverting God's good design. Further, he wanted others to fear him. His last words in, our, in this section in Genesis 4 are these, that he is going to get 77-fold vengeance upon anyone who would take vengeance upon him. You remember what God said earlier. He said, if anyone harms Cain, if anyone kills Cain, I will take sevenfold vengeance. And Lamech said, oh, you think that's something? Look at what I, ha- Look at what I will do. I will take 77-fold vengeance. I am greater than God. You must fear me more than you fear God. That too is the attitude of man. It's impossible not to see these attitudes today. Murder of the innocent, perversion of marriage, attempts to intimidate and dominate. There's no honor given to God, no thanks to him for his regular provision. A great pride in man's efforts in his attempts to recreate reality. How does it all hold together? Well, there we see how man answers that question also, don't we? By a strong ruler, when you don't recognize you are under an authority that is over everything, over those appointed authorities and those under those appointed to rule, there needs to be someone who is going to dominate. We see some of the solutions that were provided uh, throughout history. In, In recent history, in the communist countries when they developed where there's an attempt to ban God in these countries, there rose up dictators who promised to exercise control to create utopia. All confidence was to be placed in the state in what they could do. The state was happy to play the role of God, but there was no rest or joy or hope for the future. The West, in contrast, was a 
place of freedom under God. Recognized institutions that God had given, divine rights that were recognized, the right of life, institution of the family being the most basic between one man and one woman for the preservation of humanity, for the filling and subduing of the earth. These rights and institutions were clearly seen because of a common commitment to God's word as the foundation. But as we turn from that common commitment to God's word, the society becomes increasingly perverse and violent. That's what accounts for what we see today, a turning from God's word. It's that simple. It's that basic. It's what leads to an unsafe and fearful populace experience, reality. The result has become increasingly government power, governmental power being a controller of the people to act as a securer of a prosperous future. We know there is no good end to that. You can see throughout history that doesn't work. We need to submit to the one who has made all things. There's even a restlessness in the church. They've bought into this notion of, well, look at the world. It isn't that bad. They seem to be prosperous. They seem to be productive. We need to just uh, uh, kind of join forces and, and, and come together and, and, and see what we can accomplish together. Don't talk about sin. Don't talk about need to be reconciled to God. Talk about goodness. Talk about being uh, uh, productive. Speaking of sin is increasingly unpopular. The biggest churches are, are those whose Pastors are writing books and telling us our best life is now and how to live that best life. We're meant to live for the Lord and we're meant to remember that we need him, not just for this life, but for the life to come. We live for him here and now. That must not be forgotten, but if our focus is only on our call, only on what we're getting now, then the call of God becomes faint and soon the reality of living in this fallen world becomes confusing to us. We say, why is all this happening? What's going on? We're trying hard. We're doing our best. Why is it? Maybe it's God's fault. Maybe he's to blame. We're we're doing our best. And God comes in only as someone to punch, only as someone to blame for why we're not happy, why we're not fulfilled. When in fact, God says, but you're doing all that you're doing apart from me. You're attempting to do all that you're doing to your praise and your glory. We recognize this world is a fallen world because of sin. It's in our lives. It's in the lives of those around us. And we need to look to the Lord and to remember that he can bring us through and grant us patience and perseverance through these difficulties. So we see that contrast As we move from Cain and his offspring of Lamech to uh, uh, that of Seth's line, the one who was appointed upon the death of Abel. Contrast to Cain's purely earthly focus, God tells us that a believing line is continued as God appoints this one. Interesting word, he appointed Seth as one to be the continuance of the line from which the deliverer would come. God brings us back to these, this wording of creation in the opening of chapter 5 when he said, this is the book of the generations of Adam. Chapter 2, verse 4, talks about these are the generations. This, this formulaic introduction to what God is saying, this is how the beginning came about. 
God is reminding us of what he's doing. And then he says this, when God created man, he created him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. He reminds us again of who we are, how we were made. He reminds us that his plan for relationship was not broken by Adam and Eve's sin. For verse 26 says, at that time people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Lamech's words are abruptly cut off in verse 24. And God again speaks and says, here is the abrupt end of the wicked, but here is the ongoing life of those who are looking to me. Adam and his wife had a son. And from this son came those who called upon the name of the Lord once again. We remember this by God's grace. We are to lift up the name of God before all people. But it's so easy, isn't it? It's, it is very abrupt. It's kind of like one minute we're, we're confident, we're comfortable. The next minute we're anxious and we're, we're, we're troubled. What do we need in the midst of that anxiety? What we have here, a good word. That good word that God provides and God protects. I will be your God both now and forever. That promise stirs life in us now. It keeps us focused. It keeps us grounded in a broken world. We can face disappointment with the truth that God works all things for good. We can face defeat with the truth that God has promised us victory in Christ. We can know that sin will not destroy, for Christ has paid for it. The focus of our joy is not upon us, but upon Christ. As Peter spoke to those who were suffering, where does he point them? 1 Peter chapter 1, he says, Think upon the blessings you have in Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. He says you're being tested as gold to remove the impurities that your faith might be proved genuine. But you look to that which is to come with an inexpressible joy, filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's God's gift to us. That's God's inheritance that cannot be taken away. That which is on this earth, thieves can break in and steal. Moth and rust can destroy. But what God has for his people is kept secure in heaven for us. And God has his people everywhere, as we are reminded in the midst of this very uh, uh, climactic statement of Lamech. It's cut off and God declares that his people yet endure. Those who are singing his praises and living for his glory. It's his people everywhere, even when evil seems to be increasing. That line of Seth is characterized by faith, by walking with the Lord, looking ahead to what is to come. That which is permanent and lasting. These two lines provide a strong contrast. Both lines sought security. Cain sought to make his own security. And Seth and his line looked to God for security. Well, our passage ends with a man named Noah. We come, I'm going to go through all the genealogy today. We come to the end of the passage and we hear that word 
of the man named Noah. We're told that he has three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Do you remember Shem's most famous descendant? It's Abraham. The Old Testament spends a lot of time speaking of Shem's descendant, Abraham. He is connected to Shem in chapter 11 of the book of Genesis. Abraham walked with God by faith. When called to go to a land that God would give him, he did so by faith. He lived in tents, the book of Hebrews says, Hebrews 11.9, not building a city for his defense, but looking ahead to God's promised city. Listen to those words in uh, how they're, they're written for our edification and for our instruction in Hebrews 11. Verses 8 through 10. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Looking for a better country, a heavenly one, we read later, verse 16. As many of you know, I went, uh, my family and I went on vacation uh, recently, a few weeks ago. We had a beautiful week. Tent was working great till the last day. And we got a severe rainstorm. And, well, we had most of the stuff in the van, but the stuff that wasn't in the van kind of, well, it was flooded is the right word. And I thought to myself, this is temporary. This life is a, something of a, of a pilgrimage. We, we're, this is not our lasting home. We had a great time. We were enjoying the beauty of God's world. That's what we're seeing here. Enjoying all that God, uh, all that God enables man to, to uh, invent and, and to develop. But remembering that this is not going to last. Remembering that uh, we are looking forward to what is ahead. We cannot make a permanent home here relying upon the things of this life to grant us security, the security that our hearts long for. We can't create a perfect fellowship. That's coming. We had great fellowship with members of the church this week too. But in my weariness, I was reminded we're not there yet. We just, we, we, we aren't, it isn't quite fulfilling because of our weariness or because it doesn't last. Sometimes it's so good we say, oh, it, but it came to an end. If it could only have gone on, we know that there is nothing that is permanent lasting here. But these are all glimpses. These are all things God allows us to see, to experience, uh, that we might truly long for and yearn for what is to come. And to know that they can only be ours as God provides them in Christ Jesus. That we only enter in as we do so by faith in Christ. As we trust in him, as we rest in him. This age gives praise and advantage to the strong and to the well-connected, but this age will come to an end as abruptly as Lamech's uh, life came to an end in verse 24. His words speak of that abruptness. And those who reject God will lose everything. Everything that they've worked so hard for, everything that they thought was going to be permanent and lasting. As we live on earth, we do so with joy and thanksgiving for what God has given. We catch glimpses of what God has for us in the beauty of the world, in the wonder of what man uh, can invent and how man can fill the earth and subdue it. 
in relationships that we have, but not that full satisfaction. This is but a glimpse of what is to come. It's wonderful to get a taste of home now, if you will, to anticipate what is coming. It urges us to offer hospitality. It urges us to work with great endeavor so that we might be of help to those around us, that we might serve, knowing that there is satisfaction in that, that it is exciting to see when others discover what we're setting before them. There is that wonderful experience, but faith presses us on to see that our true rest is in God. What is truly permanent is in Him. We thank Him for the gifts that we have now. We thank Him for each other. And we press on to that city to come. A city whose architect and builder is God. A place in which God will dwell. When John records the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, he says in those closing chapters in Revelation 21 that he was enabled to see the city, the coming city, Revelation 21, verse 2, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And these things will continue on and on. We look forward to that. We press on for that. We suffer here. We are still in the land of suffering. We suffer because of the consequences of sin in work, in relationship. We suffer from persecution for standing in the truth, just as our Savior suffered. But we are also those who remember we have here no lasting city. We seek the city that is to come, for we are those who walk by faith, as the writer of Hebrews says it in Hebrews 13. We recognize that that will be secured by God who establishes it, who removes all sin and all that can harm. We don't lose heart. We long for the city and we press forward in hope even as we enjoy the community that is ours here. God came to Cain in the midst of his direction, as he started to veer off, as well, we could say, he took a sharp, hard bank to the right, 90 degrees. And he said to him, Cain, do you understand what is wrong? I am not the one who is the problem. My, my requirements, my call is not the problem. I am calling you to that which will give you life if you trust in me. But you are angry. You would have none of it. You seek security in yourself, life in yourself. Well, in this, I want us to see that God is a seeking God. And he wants us to be seeking people. Those who seek those who presently do not know God. And who are seeking peace, seeking rest everywhere, anywhere and everywhere. Except in God, where it can be found. We don't know who will be made alive to this call. To the call to call upon the name of the Lord, but we are to be those who in our work, in our speech, act like a Samuel Morse. That we would constantly be asking the question that the name of God would be constantly on our lips saying, what has God done? And then pointing to what God has done in all of his work. 
in his creation, in his redemption, and in the coming consummation, that we might be delivered from our sins and from the fall and all of its consequence and find perfect rest and peace in him. May God help us to do that. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this world as we have already done today. We thank you for relationships. We thank you for faith community, a community in which we can walk with you and walk alongside of each other, pointing each other ahead, even as we enjoy fellowship here, taking our pains and our sufferings and our hurts and our wounds in prayer to you for each other. Lord, help us to be those who are praying for each other, those who are encouraging each other, those who are providing a good word when there is anxiety, when there is fear. Help us to be hot, to be comforting, to be soothing to those who need to be comforted, to be cold, to be refreshing to those who are weary, to those who feel as though they're walking through a dry desert land. Lord, help us to point them to you. For in you there is life. We thank you for revealing yourself to us, seeking us out, and leading us by your Spirit. May we be that same kind of people, those who are seeking out the lost, calling them to come. Hear us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Number 468, that hymn that speaks of what is coming, we do not know all of what it will be. Jerusalem the golden, with milk and honey blessed, beneath your contemplation sink heart and voice oppressed. I know not, oh I know not, what joys await us there, what radiancy of glory, what bliss beyond compare. But we know it shall be most glorious, for there God is and will dwell with his people. Let us sing the four stanzas of number 
Father in heaven, as we take our offerings now for Covenant United Reformed Church in Colorado Springs, Colorado, we ask that you would bless those saints there as they seek to live for you and as they seek to reach out with the gospel message. Pray for Reverend Harms and his work and for his family there. We ask, Lord, that your word would go forth in power today, pointing us to you, reminding us that in you there is strength and there is joy. Hear our prayers along with our offerings, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand to receive God's parting blessing. The Lord goes with you to comfort you in your grief, to bring joy in the midst of sadness, and to surround you with his grace. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. Amen. Amen.